All right, so this is Todd Atkins. I'm back from the Philippines, and I'm here with Miguel Adorati, who's in Costa Rica, as always. And uh, this is uh, MMA Conspiracy Hour. And uh, before we start, I want people to check out uh, Live to Fight Design. You can find them on Instagram at Live to Fight Design. They make uh, fight banners and gym banners. And if you use my promo code Todd Atkins, you can get $20 off your order. Now, today, we're going to talk about the UFC or the uh, fighter antitrust lawsuit that has just been certified to go forward. So this has been a recent announcement within the last few days. So Miguel, first I wanted to ask you kind of what your initial thoughts were on, on it finally getting certified. You know, this high level type of legal battle is about like drawing lines in the sand. And this is one that the UFC has certainly defended this line. And that is, it's not certified yet. We don't want it to be certified. Whatever our lawyers can do to put a damper on that, it can't go further without that. So they drew that line and they've been defending that line for a long time. So now a line of defense has failed because the courts have decided that there is, you know, material enough here to, to go forward and, unite the fighters under you know the the construct of the uh of the lawsuit so we'll see what happens now but i think that the you know the ufc by vehemently defending at that point let you know that they're going to defend this all the way through to the end and probably it is because they're going to be found guilty I, and that's just an assumption on my part but you know as an observer who's watched them operate from the beginning to the end um, that ruthless nature, you know, comes with, you know, like a deeper, like a deeper end. And, you know, a lot of the things that they did are questionable in terms of under, under, you know, the monopoly laws and that type of stuff that, that they're going to come up against here, you know, because they did crush the competition one way or another. And, and what they did is they did that on multiple fronts, not just the promoters. But they crushed, you know, guys making T-shirts in their backyard or, you know, in their garage, you know, little companies, you know, if, if you didn't work with them, eventually you just weren't going to be able to continue in the business. And, you know, so I think this, that this whole setup of the business is been set up by them kind of like on, almost like as a mafia blueprint, you know. Where it's like they do what they want, they grab a bite of everything. Everything. The sponsors, remember the sponsors when fighters used to walk out with a mishmash of stuff and, you know, oh, it doesn't look good. And that's the excuse they use. But all of a sudden, they make a big corporate deal and every fighter's got a uniform. And if you remember the fighters around that time, I'm not sure how the things look in the landscape now. I'm sure everybody's prices have gone up. But when they did it, very, the fighters were definitely against it, and it took money out of their pocket and put it into Dana's pocket. That's just one example that was very visible. We that played out before our eyes, and nobody says nothing. So, you know, because that's the way sports are. You know, I want to ask you a couple of things. The first thing is, uh, and you may not be able to answer this, but how much longer do you think the UFC could keep this tied up? Well, probably years. Probably years still. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. 
uh, you're right. I'm not really qualified to say that, but at this point, they've kept it tied up for ten years. It, you know, it could be tied up for that that amount of time. You know, as the lawyers exchange information and the, you start to reveal things. Okay, so Miguel, one thing I want to ask you is, you kind of said that. Uh... They probably know they're going to be found guilty, the UFC, in this case. I wanted to ask you, Endeavor, you know, they buy the UFC. I'm sure a company of that size, a conglomerate of that size, that has since then gone on to buy a WWE, that they've looked heavily into this. They're going to be the ones that ultimately make a payout if there's going to be one, which if they lost, there would be. How much do you think they thought this would come, this you know, possibility would come? Do you think Endeavor purchased the UFC knowing that this could be a possibility or did they think it was going to go away? Or I mean, I know there's no way you could know that you weren't there when they made that decision, but just looking at it. Well, the lawsuit existed when they bought it. So if they weren't aware of it, then, you know, something in the, 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 the matrix is broken, right? So they, they knew about it. I'm sure the Fertitas and Dana presented it with their typical arrogance of, eh, there's nothing behind that. You know, and when, you know, they're now a public company and, you know, like it or not, a lot of the books and things have to be public and you got to be real forthcoming. In other words, for a private company to go public, there's usually a bunch of cleanup that has to happen. So I think Dana and, and, and the Fertitas were in some stage of that process, cleaning up, making sure, you know, that the skeletons get buried or whatever. And uh, they presented it possibly in a light fashion. If, they, if Endeavor are sharp lawyers, it's up to you to decide. If there were sharp lawyers, a lawyer may have sent up a warning flag there and said, you know, this lawsuit, if it goes through, the potential is damaged. So they may have heard, you know, up to that level that the, it's a potentially damaging lawsuit if it goes to, you know, the, the full course, but that they were battling hard to not have that happen. And they've battled hard, just as hard since. So Endeavor didn't want that to happen either. Now, that. that I think that's just a playbook on these things, I, you know. But I, I do wonder, you know, now that they've gotten a dose of Dana working with them, you know, and you can see that Dana, you know, it's not like Dana came around and now gives a shit about things, you know. He still very clearly doesn't give a shit and does whatever he wants. Is there a feeling that yeah, you know, these people, they're being accused of, you know, unfair business practices. And it does seem like they, personality-wise, they're capable of this. You know, I don't know. You know, once you get around Dane and you start seeing how he operates on a daily basis with some of this stuff, yeah, he's got, you know, a media personality. So, you know, he's got defenders and things like that. But if you look at the ruthlessness from the very beginning in a business where there was a lot of, you know, grassroots kind of camaraderie you know it, it, to, a, to a certain extent regional systems it's almost like the 
when the pro wrestling system went from regional to being run by the WWE and that kind of nostalgic look at the way, you know, I don't want to be looking at it like nostalgia, but there were a lot of grassroots businesses that died when the UFC failed to, failed to, uh, you know, embrace them or, or, you know, actively sought to knock them out, you know? Now, let me ask you, like, with with this going through, with it looking likely that they would be found guilty, you know, with Endeavor coming in late in the game, something you just mentioned where you're talking about they're looking at Dana White, they've had kind of a feel, they probably know that Endeavor, that is, probably knows that he's someone who would act in this kind of a way at this point you know seeing how he uh manages things from day to day would it benefit from them to make a change away from him as far as the as far as the uh lawsuit goes or would it not even matter this we've had this conversation before and i'm i again i i speak Without any inside knowledge, but I'm I'm really confident that there was a contract that executed Dana's transition from the Fertitas to the new company. And, you know, especially it was right around then that Joe Silva left, right? So Silva took the money and ran. So without that, you've just, you know, Joe kind of wasn't a Danish everybody else there was on Dana's team you you so I'm I would not be surprised I still you know stand by this that Dana's transition contract gave him extreme power can't be dismissed can't be you know until he's ready to go when he wants to go he makes the shots nobody can he's irreplaceable and I think that that's you know to some extent, why you see him act with impunity in certain situations. Because I don't think Endeavor can just say, Dana, you're fired. Right. With this case coming up, he he might be more... I'm asking, do you think he might be more willing to step away for their benefit if it would help the UFC? No. I don't think he... Dana, especially in his old age, is showing more and more that he's about about Dana, you know, enough of the rhetoric of like, he loves the sport and stuff like that. He's as jaded as they come now, you know, seeing thousands of fights, no fight impresses him anymore the same way. He's kind of going through the, you know, his act is like McGregor's. It's just not fresh anymore, you know? And um, he looks bored. He looks like he wants to be doing other things, but you know, this is what makes him a half a billion dollars, made him half a billion dollars. So, and, and that's the other part of it is, is, um, you know, if, if his personal wealth is, is correct there, then, you know, there's something broken in this, in, in a structure where none, you know, you can add up most of the fighter wealth. And aside from McGregor, I don't think you get anywhere near you know, what What uh, Dana's amassed, you know? And, you know, that could be 
Hey, that's a high level look at that, you know, but there's that may be indicative of what you're going to find there. It was a situation where it didn't matter wh who or what was making money, they were targeted, and a portion of that money was going to go to the machine. That's the way it worked. Um, you like I said, you saw that with the sponsors, you saw that with the manager. It was a you know. The, the Monty Cox story is, is a very fascinating story because Monty at one point, you know, a mover and a shaker in the early days, managed to get, uh, be the manager of record for four of the five UFC champions at one time. And obviously that made him a pretty powerful person. But Monty, you know, used that in a reasonable sense, you know, negotiate an extra five grand here or, you know, take care of me on the next show or, you know, even joking around and stuff like that. But Monty, you know, never actively worked and, you know, shut down a UFC show over pay and held all the fight. You know, I got six of the eight guys on the card. I, you know, your main card is all my guys. We'll all walk and ruin your show. That wasn't the kind of atmosphere. That that type of atmosphere was brought in by Dana and for the Fertitas, that cutthroat atmosphere. And they went after Monty because Monty had too much power, even though Monty didn't use that power in the way that they were afraid to. But if Dana was in that situation, he knows what he would do. So that's what made him very afraid. And then, then they come, Monty's management, um, you know, at some point, he had to get fighters, and he did. He hustled. He got fighters' fights overseas, et cetera, et cetera, and stuff like that. But at some point, you know, if you're on a long-term run with the UFC, you're going to make more money there than in most places anyway, in the fight game, because it's it, they're at the top of the pyramid. So how much of Monty's income did they actually affect by, you know, executing, you know, the system which they have now, where it's like the man, there's management companies that are related to the UFC or, you know, loosely related to the UFC. And if you're not with one of them, you're unlikely to get a chance in the UFC. But the independent management is just no longer exists. They took that out, you know. And, and again, when I talk about going through emails and 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 texts and things like that, years worth, this is the kind of stuff that you can you can, will definitely be able to prove there because people are are very uncareful, you know. And, and at some point, you become very complacent in that nobody's stopping you, you know. So even though at some point. They may not have looked at it like breaking the law, but you know it seems it seems that there was a lot of negative and work to actively shut down competition in many ways. With the managers, they started to institute the bonuses. The you know again, and here's a, a false way where like if they're making a billion dollars, giving a fifty thousand dollar bonus or three of them out per show, big deal. That's the problem. But but if you're the fighter who gets it, you're happy, you know. Then you, the other fighters sort of start going for it, and there's competition there, and nobody talks about the fact that if they just had fifty thousand that they could just hand out, and hey, look, they're four great fights, so they give out another fifty. Is there that big a budget? Because I know when we ran a show, it's like I didn't have bonus money at the end. I could just go, you know, six great fights. I'm going to give them. I'm going to bonus them all, but. The UFC had that kind of pool already. Nobody questioned that. Why isn't that being spread out? 
in higher fighter pay across the board rather than giving it out in bonuses. It came with the ulterior motive of telling the fighters the bonus isn't in your contract. Don't give your manager a percentage of the bonus. And a lot of them said, oh, 75 grand. I got to give my manager, you know, $15,000 for doing nothing. If your agreement said that your fight, your manager earns 20% of all your fight income, then absolutely you do. So they started little wars between management and their fighters so that they could do institute a management structure now where you've got sub companies that, you know, and they did the same with the sponsors. And again, you know, how much of the money is the corporation grabbing from the Venom deal? The Reebok deal went south fast because, you know, Reebok may be too big a corporation in that this was small form and they got, got, you know, botched it and it didn't go well. And then they never put, sunk the money in to really repair it. But I, I, you know, whatever they were giving to the fighters there, you know, Dana said, we're not taking any of the money. We're giving it all to the fighters. Yeah. He didn't say that with Venom. So how much money did Venom come up with to make the deal happen? So it's, there's a lot over time. There's a lot of situations where the UFC always opted to X out competition and be very aggressive. And that consistent pattern, I think, is what leads me to believe that th this lawsuit, well executed, could have some teeth. I'm going to touch on something you just mentioned. This is kind of off the topic a little bit, but you just brought it up. That's why I'm going to mention this, because I, I was thinking about this. You brought up the fact that, like, Monty was getting 20% of all earnings. And a lot of managers today, I think they get, like, 10%, even if the fighter gets a bonus. And I saw like Josh Thompson and Sean O'Malley and others saying that the manager shouldn't get any of a performance bonus. And, you know, what I, I'm going to defend managers here a little bit. You know, most of them, their fighters are getting less than what the performance bonus is. Unless they have a fighter that's a champion or a high contender, most of their fighters are getting less than what the performance bonus is. Let, let what are you expecting this. managers to get paid from? They're not yeah. like, you know, in high level sports, NBA, NFL, MLB, they're getting large commissions of huge contracts. MMA managers aren't getting that. Those contracts aren't out there. So I understand that. That's just something the, I wanted the, to touch on with you. Because the, the, because the structure is different, you know, I, I how does it work out? Because if you get a fighter, a five fight deal, escalating money ever you did your job you literally for four fights you do nothing except for become a secretary and exchange paperwork right. and that's part of what it is is secretarial duties and you know wake the fighter up hey you overslept you got your press conference you know be on top of things if your fighter needs that sort of stuff but then once the pay goes up fighters start looking at all the things the manager does like that and it starts to not be worth it at a certain percentage it comes down to this it's very simple Sean O'Malley, Josh Thompson, if they signed a deal with a manager and the deal said 20% of all fighter-related earnings, then you got to give it up. If you were savvy enough to catch that line and change it, then you don't have to give it up. It's that simple. But it's up in paper. And that's what made Monty, you know, 
uh, comfortable with that. There are fighters that left Monty for that, that they right. just would not would not play. You know, there are fighters that relish giving it to Monty because just, you know, Monty dealt with a lot of, you know, loose change and stuff on a fighter's end, you know, man, fan mail and crap. I mean, Monty was pretty multifaceted. So some people were okay with the service. Hey, I made 50 grand, I give him 10, I still got 40. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's not that simple, but what did Monty do in the ring to make that 10? Nothing. But Monty's performance came when he issued the language on the contract. You know, and a lot, at some point, if you go back further enough in Monty's history, Monty was on handshake deals with people. But again, when a fighter goes from making 2000 bucks for a fight in the UFC, you know, like a Laverne Clark level guy under Monty, mm -hmm. you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, he uh, takes a big jump, you know, he's going to want to, hey, I, I thought I was making 50. Where's the other 10? You know, so the UFC found a spot where they can, you know, get in there. And at the end of the day, it seems like their minions are the ones that are grabbing the extra money and it's not going to the fighters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, more power to the lawsuit. I hope it plays out and we get to find out whether these things are, you know, just figments of my imagination or if actually some of these practices were in place. Now, let me ask you this. Let's say they do lose. And, you know, if they were to lose, obviously Endeavor's going to have to make a big payout. But not just that. They're going to have to change some of their practices. They're going to be forced to do so. And if you go off of Dana's wording, you know, his messaging, he's shown no indication that he's interested in doing any of that. So if they were to lose, how do you think they go forward? Um, yeah, you know, if he loses in court, whether Dean is interested or not has nothing to do with it. He will have to do that if he's going to continue in the role. And then I don't know, they'll get a period of time or whatever. And I'm sure Dana is old enough and has enough money at this point that he'll probably just leave. And, you know, he'll get to keep most of his money, right? I don't think he, the payout will be like, Dana, you know, you got to chip in here. I don't think that's the way that works. So he's going to ride off into the sunset rich. His ego will take a bump. And that's the one thing that I think his resistance and, and just being bullheaded now in the media is it's all ego. Because, you know, he's had his way, really, with the business for, you know, 20 years. Then he can years. focus on power slap, right? Yeah, you know. It, that, that's the kind <laughs> of thing where it's like you begin to question a lot of stuff. It's like... The, that to me, where where was the where's the pay per view? Where's the event in Abu Dhabi? Where's all the crap he talked about? You know, bringing guys from Russia for the second season and stuff like that. There doesn't seem to be a lot of active follow up. If that's being developed, they're not doing it publicly or doing it with publicity. So he's slowly sinking into him that that didn't work. That's a loss, and he hasn't taken many losses like that on the business and public. So yeah, that's a good point you just brought up. He didn't deliver on some of the things he, he said he was going to deliver on with power slap. Yeah, it, it's and to me it's a dead it's a dead issue. He can he can keep saying you know, again, he, he, I I saw an interview with him saying, you know, he they were at a bar or something, 
and you know people's reaction to it was just like unbelievable and i think he actually mentioned at some point that in one of the casinos the uh like all the old nba heads like the basketball heads were like over there watching this stuff we've been subject to a season of this todd you mildly followed it i asked you again name one power slap you 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 remember the jesus guy right there's a guy with her but uh, so yeah this is a failure and the, you know he was bullheaded at the end saying no we're gonna keep push through season two and stuff like that but it seems to have really quieted down you know and yeah you know the ufc was his his golden moment if he thought he was gonna tap that with power so you know then his judgment's off he's just simply way off of, at this point and more power to him. You know, he could ride off in the sunset with Donald Sterling, go be wacky and old and play with your money wherever you want. Well, let me ask you this. Could it put UFC out of business? I mean, if if they weren't, because like I said, they had Endeavor, if anything, since they've come in, they've cut costs. They haven't increased costs. They, you know, they started the Apex. They're running more shows at the Apex, a lot less shows on the road. They may not want to do any of this stuff. Do you think it's something where they, it could conceivably put the UFC out of business that Endeavor just cuts their losses? Endeavor will probably sell. You know, and whoever, they'll buy the, somebody will buy it and the, the name and history will still have some value. Will it be the $15 billion in value it has now? You know, probably not. But I, I think that, you know, the fighting game, that was done. That, that's ensconced in, in the modern culture at this point. So I don't think fight game goes away. Maybe uh, the UFC name doesn't operate anymore and somebody else sort of takes over as the big role. You know, Bellator, PFL, you know, one. Somebody steps up. But just like when a fighter goes from, you know, the – big UFC shows to Bellator or, you know, now that they're with WWE, when you go from WrestleMania to wrestling again in a gymnasium in front of 300 people, you're going to feel the difference. And that's what will happen is if Endeavor has to make a massive payout and then cash in whoever owns the name or whatever the new big game in town is, is you'll feel how much smaller it is than it was before. Let me ask you this. If, if Endeavor has to make a huge payout and then sells, would this be looked at as maybe one of the historical bad decisions by a, a big entity that chose to buy a company like that, knowing that they were facing a potential lawsuit? No, it was, I, I don't know where it, you know, I, they, they, we'll see how this lawsuit plays out. Right? Obviously, if it does go away at some point or the payout is minimal and they can continue with business as usual, then their risk was okay. But that's what's at play here is they, they did the risk they take, you know, was it worth it? Was it something that now, you know, the risk is really coming into play and you may not be able to sustain the income. You may not be able to keep the company at the level it's at. You may not be able to keep it growing. You know, 
they, don't get me wrong, they connect, they, you know, the merge with the WWE, that's a big business move. You know, that's a big move. And that's big companies with big power and big drawing power, big name recognition coming together. So they're already operating at a different level. Some of that may come up. Can you imagine if the lawsuit decides that that deal to unite them with WWE is null and void? Hmm. How could that happen? I, I'm i making it up. Uh, I, do, okay. I don't know, but maybe the WWE would want out of it as well. Because the WWE mm. in that merge would have had to do the same due diligence as Endeavor and they probably saw the same things and they decided to jump in and take the risk. That they is take, a good point. I mean, if UFC, is, if UFC doesn't continue, what's the motivation for WWE to you know, the whole merger to stay with that the company, whole point? You know, it doesn't WWE what's valuable there is the library. So they'll they'll still be able to sell and, and it will depend where we will see fights, even though they're history. You know, how many people actually, you know, I'm I'm crazy. I've sat and watched wrestlers from the 50s just to see how they move and things like that. But I don't think a lot of people do. You know, I, I certainly don't think a lot of people go back. There's some, but I don't think, you know. You see too many 22-year-olds being like, oh, i really like to see some tape of the 56 Yankees. You know, so that, but that is, that library still has some value. It's massive. And the right. WWE would be all right to control that or shelve it. But when Endeavor made that purchase, they made that with the intention of merging these two together to make TKO, you know, the the ticker symbol, T you know, and to combine these two massive juggernauts to go forward. If the UFC gets taken out or severely crippled by this uh, lawsuit, that blows up everything they just did. Yeah. It, you know, it the lawsuit isn't going to come and it's still years away from playing itself out. And the thing is, is you're going to have to execute both of these, you know, Whatever's going on with the WWE and the UFC, they've got to continue to merge and grow together. We already saw that Ronda and Shayna, sort of as predicted, are, are already doing a storyline involving MMA. And you'll see more of them using their powers that way. Um, I'm not a big fan of it, but you know, the more time that goes by and the more they become used to it, you know, they have two creative departments at this point. When that merges to one, it becomes harder to undo the deal or, you know, say, you know, I'm going to cut my losses or whatever. I think the WWE at this point is backing Endeavor and backing everybody, throwing, you know, hey, I got a good lawyer over here. And they're going to fight the crap out of that lawsuit together. That's a lot. You know, to me, the fighters are due a big payout. If, if the lawsuit goes out and the more money that those companies have, you know, interlaced there, we'll see how much they actually get their hands on. It'd be nice to see it at the end of the day, fighters sort of receiving something at the end, uh, you know, the lawsuit plays out. But I just think that these corporations are going to resist it to, 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 to the end. 
let me ask you this. Is there a way the UFC could settle and not? Because the change of the business practices has to happen as part of this. So they can't really just settle and pay because they still would have to change. The whole point of this lawsuit is they engaged in practices yeah, that no, run legally, legally, if the UFC came to the lawsuit, to the lawyers handling the lawsuit and said, look, this is what we offer. You got 800 fighters now or however many. We'll use a simple number of 1,000. You got 1,000 fighters. We're going to give, on average, 400,000 to every one of them. And whatever that works out on a calculator, it'd be a lot of money. You know, some more, some less, depending on you know performance and this. But on average, about 400,000 for each fighter. So, again, it... it the, then the lawyers would have to go to the fighters. Some would want to accept, and some won't. And that's where you have to hold the line. If you don't accept the offer, then the UFC is likely to be forced by the courts to change that, their business practices. If they come forth with a monetary offer that's accepted, and it doesn't come with the additional change in structure that the courts might require, then they circumvent what the courts were going to do. And then they could continue practicing exactly the way they have now. They could really do that? I don't know legally, you know, but yeah, I think I think if they settled out of court, then they, you would have to engage in a whole new process to force them to change their business practices. What, wow. what, what repercussion do you have aside from the court decision? And the court decision would be taken away because the two parties settled. Wow. Yeah, you know, and so, yeah, they may be saving their pennies so that they can make that big offer, have the fighters take that money. But again, I think the fighters there are united. I think that there's actually that feeling of like, you know, that they've been disrespected a little bit too. And that lack of respect is what makes you hold the line here. Because if you're going to be given a big payout to keep your mouth shut and then they keep doing what they're doing, who won? There are a lot of personal victories, but the sport didn't win. So I think this is an altruistic lawsuit in that respect. I hope the fighters, uh, you know, aren't faced with that. If they are, I hope they hold the line. Yeah, I think for the UFC and for an endeavor, that would be the best outcome for them. Let's settle. And then let's kind of keep operating the way we were operating. Maybe change a little bit, but... Hold on a second. Let me just... I'm just... I'm going to take a minute and let's say, let's just, and I am nowhere near the numbers or anything like that, but let's say there was a thousand fighters involved in a lawsuit and the average payout for it to be meaningful, you know, would have to be about 400,000, you know, just as an imaginary number. So in other words, that's the average. So some guys, a guy who had one fight may get 15,000, 20,000 more, mm -hmm. but guys who had copious, now that right there, so $400,000 for 1,000 fighters comes out to be $400 million and a company worth $15 billion. Yeah. So I, I think I'm on the low end of, of what the payout would be. But it, they, they, they would have to, have, and they have cash on hand, They would have, the fighters would have to say, okay, that's enough money. I don't wish to pursue this lawsuit anymore for the good of the sport. We don't need to get into any of the other stuff. 
It's actually not a lot of money. I thought it was going to be four billion, and then when I, you know, off the top of my head, and then when four billion on a fifteen billion dollar company is a big hit, four hundred million isn't that much. So they could, if they're a thousand, if they're three thousand fighters instead of a thousand, you're looking at one point two billion. Still not extreme, less than ten percent, yeah. and they've got the cash on hand. So if they're three thousand fighters, all those fighters in the UFC can get. They just give them four hundred thousand each. You know, the guys who had 30 fights, like Chris Lytle, probably deserve more. The guys who had two fights, you know, like uh, Trevino, the kid who fought uh, Sage Northcutt, you know, he probably don't deserve 400, but, you know, he'll take 120 in three fights. You know, you're going to give how much value per fight are you going to give to the guy? You know, there are a lot of ways to break it up. But the fighter, at that point, I don't know. What I don't know is, how it would be handled, it's like, look, you know, a certain fighter is due 150 grand and he wants to take it because his mother, you know, they need the money and this. Meanwhile, another guy is due two million, but he's going to sit on it. He'll go all in and he'll wait. You know, will some fighters be able to get out there? I don't think that's the way that works. I think some it's either everybody takes the payout or nobody takes the payout. That's what a settlement would be. So it's a tough spot to be in to tell another guy who might, you know, so many hundreds, you know, now we bumped it up to 3000. I don't know exactly how many fighters are in the lawsuit, but it's a, it's a pretty decent number. Now you're talking about life stories, you know, somebody in a life and death situation and you're going to tell them, no, you can't get this money. It's due you it becomes really complicated. Yeah, you know, you may have just unearthed one way the UFC could throw a monkey wrench in this thing is to make a, a decent attempt at an offer that shuts this thing down. Yeah. O'Malley and uh, Aljo, are you going to watch it tonight? Oh, yeah. What? How do you think that's going to go? You know... Yeah, I, I think Sterling is is showing himself. You know, he he didn't win the belt in the in the best way, but I think that since then he's shown me that he's been pretty masterful in terms of uh, his media approach. Even taking this fight, it's like, hey Dana, you know, you didn't even ask me. I need some time off. You know, this that the other thing. Like, Don't worry about it. I'll be there. You know, I I, I think he's I think he's um, past the Jan, you know, controversy and victory. I think he put a nail in that coffin with a strong second fight with Jan. I think he's been uh, performing at a high level, you know, since since then, and uh, that's on all facets, in the ring and outside the ring. So I I think uh, we're about to find out. O'Malley's taking a big jump up, you know. They, they carried him. He's had some tough fights. Obviously, he fought Jan as well. But um, yeah, I think I think O'Malley. You know, we're about to find out if he's the real deal or not. Yeah, that'll be something interesting to talk about after the fact. Yeah, um, for sure. Now, talk a little bit about the uh, the uh, dog rescue that you're working on that we talked about last week. Well. Uh, here we are, the Wet Nose Project in Costa Rica, and uh, you know we are. It's been a tough week, 
there was a lady that was a hoarding case with like 50 or 60 dogs on her property that her uh, family sued her to get, you know, this taken care of. And it was like, you know, the, you have 72 hours to get all the dogs out of there or they're going to start shooting them. So uh, flurry of activity. Now we've got some downtime right now. There are a lot of dogs in cages, but they're all out of there. And um, now the fun begins, you know, start to actually, you know, invest in them and put some work in them. So just a lot of really uh, interesting work that felt good because it felt like a rescue. I know at some point I'm going to see some things I, I don't want to ever see. Um, but uh, this was a feel good week for that stuff. A lot of activity. Um, and uh, we'll see how everything goes. There's a GoFundMe out there that Todd's been helping me with. Anything you can give is great. You know, we'll definitely put it to use for the dogs. And I appreciate it. I appreciate it if anyone cares out there. And how would the contributions, how would they be used as far as maybe talk about some of that? Well, there are tons of activities, you know, um, like, for example, like rescuing 50, 60 dogs, you know, they need to come up with cages transport cages you know gasoline gasoline is not cheap down here for about seven bucks eight bucks a gallon compared to the states um you know and 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 you know it's either that or let them come shoot dogs on sunday you know so it's like you have to have money to operate you know castration um campaigns you know go find street dogs if they're healthy and they're doing okay you know, you can't save every dog off the street, but, you know, you can make sure that they're not having puppies. Um, you know, feeding strays is becoming an issue. Um, times are tough around the world, and you can kind of see that in the abandonment of animals and things like that. In Costa Rica, they have good laws, but not a lot of strong enforcement. And mainly, you know, people drive their dog out. If they're going to abandon it, drive it to the boondocks and just leave it. And um, so th that's where you know, the per diem expenses of rescue is, you know, add up because it's like, all right, we got to go, you know, 40 kilometers to go look at a dog. You know, you got to, you got to get gas, you know, and, and um, you know, have some food, have the cage ready, get everything together and go and take action. You know, the, the, like I said, the castration campaigns, they come with, you know, you got to pay somebody to care for the dog immediately after the operation, at least for days, a couple of days, right? Um, you know, feeding them is a lot. Uh, there are 60 dogs on the Wet Nose Project property already that live there. And, you know, that costs probably about, I don't know, I, I can't even imagine actually how much it costs to feed 60 dogs on a monthly basis. But that's all done through donations and things like that. And, you know, Adoptions are way down all across the world, really. And uh, there seems to be a glut of animals, and the animals are the ones that are suffering. So anyway, yeah, that's that's uh, the latest update. And people watching this or listening to when I put it on audio, I'll have this uh, information in the show notes. Now, talk about the uh, MMA collector. Are you doing some new stuff with that, or do you have some new stuff coming up? I do. We... Uh, um. We sent October as a comeback for the actual collector show as uh, my partner Ed uh, has seasonal work that just couldn't beat his schedule uh, during, the, during the summer months. So 
in October, we'll pick that up. I decided I'm going to try to get published today. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it, but if I do, um, on August 20th, I'm going to start a new series kind of as a tribute to boxing collectors. Hmm. And uh, it's based on the illustrated record of a magazine or a newspaper uh, that covered boxing. You know, I, I have about a year's worth of them from 1910 and 1911. Um, I happen to tomorrow's August 20th. I have the August 20th, 1910 issue. So I'm just going to break them down and go through the news that's in those magazines and stuff. Um, and this one's a tribute to the death of Joe Gans, you know, one of the greatest lightweight champions and uh, the first uh, black lightweight champion in, in history. So kind of a historic figure just so happens we're going to pick up there and then we'll see him every week. We'll put one out with the new magazine. Just fascinating stuff. It's I think it goes beyond boxing and beyond fighting history. I think looking at it through the magazines uh, of the illustrated record there, especially because it's a news magazine that also has like crime uh, stories and things like that. Um, it's a real little taste of Americana. So I, I enjoy doing it. I don't care if anybody watches it or not. I enjoy doing it. <laughs> yeah, I think if you had the cigar, you kind of have the old school uh, boxing historian look like Burt Sugar. Or yeah, you know. With the hat. <laughs> you know. Those, the, those are big shoes to fill, but, <laughs> you know, they need to be filled. And uh, I'm I'm willing to try. So I, I enjoy the boxing stuff, as you can see my backdrop and stuff like that. We're getting back on our feet in the new spot. So all's good. All right. Well, Miguel, as always, I appreciate talking to you. It's always great to hear your take on some of these uh, uh, new stories coming out. And for everyone that uh, supports the show, obviously appreciate it. And until next episode, uh, take care and be on the lookout for us again. <laughs>